Read in the in bed. Amazing, Amanda, is today, isn't it? Yeah, we've been going for three years now. Yeah, 36 episodes now of Reading in Bed. It's not quite obviously like just 36 episodes now, now Amanda, is it? Because, because why, Amanda? Because I've been doing Reading in Bed extracts. Yeah, and we've only done 19 of them now, have you know. Sounds about right. I think it's about 19. No, there was a 20th one. I've got to edit it together the next, the next time. And we've done, I was going back to the archive for this year, and there is a few extra episodes we've done as well, isn't there, this time, this year as well. We did yeah, one on your charity choose, book. Yeah, and the Choose Your Own Adventure. And we did sort of a lockdown special, didn't we? I think it was April. Yeah. So we've done, we've done, we've done a quite a productive year reading about it this year. So let's see if we can be as productive next year. I don't doubt we won't be, so... Now, of course, I am Andy N. And I'm Amanda Steele. Now, podcast today is going to be, it's a little bit different this one today, Amanda, I suppose, isn't it, really? So. Yeah, we always do a Christmas special. Yeah, ho, 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 as I would say. Oh, my God. Merry Christmas. That's as fast as we're going to get right today. No, but seriously, we've been Christmas time. We're going to have a, there's only going to be four parts in the podcast today, really. We're going to have, obviously, our news one and first book in a minute. Amanda's going to do the second part with one of her books, and I'm going to do the third part with another book. Then part four is going to be... What are we doing part four, Amanda? We're going to do my best books, and I'm going to read the next chapter down from my Santa Claus book. Yeah, and I've got a brand-new flash fiction piece done, Amanda, haven't I? So, which I'll be doing. Yeah, it's very good as well. Yeah, rather good. Rather good. So. But anyway, right, OK. News, then, Amanda. What news have we got to share? I've got a couple of little bits of news. I brought out my third book in my Destiny Initiative trilogy. Yeah, it's just come out that, Amanda, hasn't it? So now yeah. tell people a bit about the background about this, because we might, we might be repeating ourselves a little bit. But like, you've bought out, how many of these books have you bought out now this year? I bought out three, but originally one was with a publisher and they had the other one waiting. And obviously the publisher shut down, so... They never took it off me. So I just thought, well, I'm going to re-release the first one, bring the second one out, and then bring the third one out and be done with it then. Yeah. So the the first one is called First Charge, and that's free. So you can read the first one for free on all the different ebook platforms, and then hopefully you'll like it and buy the other two. Yeah, no, the tension of the other two, I think really, look back in hindsight, Amanda, you've been really productive in novels this year, really, haven't you? Because Ghost of Me came out in March... Yeah, that was set to pre-order for a few months, so I finished that about this time last year. And then, like, obviously, you've gone and done... I know you've done... People won't necessarily know this. Obviously, when First Charge came out, obviously, you'd done about, what, half of the first draft, was it? Of the second book, I'd, when... I'd done the whole of the second book, but I hadn't done the final edit because I thought the publisher was going to take it and they would do that. So then I did the final edit myself, and then I started on the third book. Yeah, so we've been quite productive and also so we'll, we'll do it as a review next year, Faye. We'll do, we'll do a review this episode because people see how busy you've been. Now, what else have you been up to, Amanda? I've had a short story shortlisted in the top 10. I don't know if I can name the competition, so I'm not going to, because they've put the titles on the website, but they haven't put the authors. So until they start putting my name on, I'm going to assume I'm not allowed to mention who they are. But my short story was shortlisted, and it sounds like there were actually more than 10 entries, which is a good thing. <laughs> oh, completely. Now, did we mention last month about the Hannah Kate thing, the three-minute scares? No, we didn't. Right, I'll let you tell people about that as well then, OK? Well, that closes tomorrow, doesn't it? So no, it's three-minute not... Santa's tomorrow we've entered, just to confuse people. Oh, right. Oh, right, yeah, I was thinking of that. I think we might have mentioned the three-minute scares. I just got an honourable mention on it, that's all. Well, very nice, so... I don't, I don't think you've got anything else on the go at the moment, really, Amanda, have you? So, nothing I'm aware of. No, try and get a couple of hours sleep every night here. Yeah, that, well, <laughs> no, we like to rest occasionally. So. Now, news from me um, is, as I hinted at last month, I've had two albums come out on Ocean of Opal, Amanda, haven't I? On Solar System yeah. Space Music. One was called Vocalising the Solar System, which is me, Amanda, and about five of our mutual comrades in arms doing spoken word of my ambient space music. 
And then, then they did one called Reimagining the Solar System, which was eight tracks over basically one for each planet. And that came out at the end of November on um, the focus Belgium off Belgium's off records, which you can find on still off. I think it's still off.bandcamp.com. It's a good album. I like it. I'm proud of it. And I've got quite a bit of other stuff coming out this year in Ocean in the Bottle Zone. Bits and big, quite a bit going on at the moment, actually. So. But that'll be more next month, I suspect. So, right, Amanda. That's all our news, isn't it? Yeah. Should we, should we lead people into books? Sir? Yeah, I think you should review a book now. Oh, yes. Now, should we have something nice and seasonal, Amanda? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> the, the first book I'm going to do today, and people aren't always, I say seasonal, the title's very seasonal here, straight away. The book itself is called. My nose is a bit blocked up today. Sorry about this. It's by Darcy Morin. I forget how it's pronounced. And it's book one in the Nick Rudd series. And it's called 12 Murders to Christmas. That sounds cheerful. Oh, yeah. It's a very. I've, it's very, very you, this sort of title, Amanda, basically, isn't it? Seasonal Murders. Yeah. Like what? So, do you want to read the blurb then? Tell us how cheerful it is. Oh, it's very great. It's very, very happy go look in this book. Now, it's quite a long blurb as well. I don't know why I've done it so long, but I know. We'll get that in a minute. Okay, you ready? This yeah. is the blurb I picked up. Every homicide detective worst nightmare is to get a note that says, I will kill one body a month until you stop me. Detectives Nick Rudd and Duncan Crane of the NYPD get that note one morning in January. And they were now being forced to the impossible task of racing against a clock to stop a deranged killer from taking out half of New York. With no real victim pattern, no evidence, nothing to lead them in a solid direction, the detectives were at a loss. But Detective Rudd wouldn't give up. Working around the clock, Nick Rudd was determined to stop this deranged killer and do that. He had to figure out why they began in the first place. At the same time, he was dealing with his own family problems and the realisation that his best friend and partner, Detective Crane, had gone dirty and was now working with the biggest drug lord in New York City. We all out of this place. It's a wonder he's able to get through the day in one piece, let alone solve a homicide. The only people he can rely on are his sister, Stella, who adamantly hates Duncan, and his friend and developing love interest, the medical examiner, Dr. Kate Alexander. If it wasn't for the two of them, we'd fall apart completely. Everyone expects Nick to fix things and be used to like he usually does. He often struggles to get through the hard time, just as any human would. A single father of five. He's a busy alive, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Brother of detective, Nick Rudd takes his job very seriously, and he's by the book cop. He loves hard and will stop it all enough to solve the case. As the victims pile up, Nick is struggling to work the case and keep Duncan and destroy not only his career, but Nick's as well. Fingers hit and look which close to home. And Nick is faced with the hardest loss any cop should ever have to deal with. Question is, will it be able to come back from this or so will it completely shatter him and cost everything? Okay, that's a long blurb. <laughs> it's way too, it's way too long, that isn't it? Really? You think so? Yeah. I think there's quite a bit you could cut out of that. There was we're, not, we're not we're not we're not reviewing the blurb, but are we? No, you could have got the blurb down half truth for talking, so yeah. That's why. So but anyway, listen, I still have another criticism the other day. What do you want to know first of all? I'll start with the good points. I'm sure many are, isn't it? Yeah, there is, there's things I liked about it and things you might have guessed I didn't like about it. I'll come on to that in a minute. Right, okay. I think it had a really good strong ending and ending, straight opening, I should say, with a massacre in a cafe. And that was quite dramatic, that was to start the book off. And I thought Nick Rudd was a believable cop, at least to start with, who has to deal with the death of his wife and one of his children in this said massacre in a cafe. And then as the case begins to develop, his left started to wonder whether his partner, Duncan Crane, who is known to his child and knows more about this and he's letting on. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. What do you think then? Do you think the pace, uh, a book that's 197 pages long, is, that's not a bad little length for a book really, is it? No, it's usually more action-packed if it's shorter. Yeah. It's if you're trying to make it three or four hundred pages, you spread it out a bit more, don't you? Yeah. And this one, yeah, gravy, that's what it did. It's 197 pages or so, which means, of course, it can't hang around. 
And as the time begins to move along, the killer begins to start killing people one month. And one thing I did like about this book, actually, was they didn't mess around with this, and I thought they were going to as well, was um, the tension between the detective and, the, say, the doctor. There was that sort of hinting on sexual chemistry almost immediately. And using the book series like this, they either drag it out over a couple of books, won't they? Yeah. They didn't. They got together in about 70 pages. <laughs> so, but... Um, <laughs> Well, at least I'll look at this. At least they got it together as my philosophy, didn't they? But as the murders are stacked yeah. up nice to one after each other, they to build up quite okay. Um, I like the ending. The ending was really good. But the final confrontation, which involved a member of Nick's family and the killer, was pretty gripping, I've got to say, which had a very surprise ending. Okay. So, are there any more good points before you start tearing it to pieces? Yeah, onto the bad <laughs> points now, okay? Unfortunately, there is. <laughs> now, I've got to ask Amanda a couple of questions in this one, okay? Um, I picked this book up as a, pro as a promo, free, um, 3D promo, actually, of Amazon, actually. Came up on the ads, actually. Well, okay, I'll give it a go. But now, would you believe there's over £6 for a Kindle? No, I think people are charging too much for the Kindle versions. Yeah, which is a, which is a rip-off, really, isn't it? Yeah. You go do that sort of price. I've seen too many people doing that and it just puts me off no matter how good the book sounds because it's Kindle. There's no costs. You don't have to like make it or print it or anything like that. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of as well, but it's 197 pages. And what the six or seven pages at the end, which are a pro of the next book. I thought to myself, it's a rip-off straight away, that is. And what do you reckon they're charging for the paperback? About twenty pound. It won't matter. <laughs> just a, just over a tenner, which I thought myself oh, was that. That's that's not the worst, is it? Because if you remember, my publisher had mine listed at nineteen ninety nine, and I had to try and find cheaper ways and try and guide people to the cheaper ways, and even that was a bit unpressed. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Like I said, it's it, like I said, it's. I just can't. I just. It's self published as well. Oh, well, there's no excuse if it's self-published. You set the price yourself. Exactly. Exactly with it. So, right, anyway, you know, I found this a bit odd, this book, because you like, obviously, it's interesting, it's a female writer in this book, actually, wrote, wrote the book's female author, which you normally get that. You normally expect, wouldn't you, like, there's three, three female central characters in the book. Stella, yeah. Nick's sister, Dr. Kate, from Nick's love interest. There's new parts of Jessica who comes in half through the book. I found all three of them very undercooked characters, which was really surprised me. Because like you think really like is you can have a couple of male characters above them, and they're all just like a bit like wallflower dressings, basically. Yeah. I liked the interaction between Dr. Kate and Jessica by the end of the book. But it was there's no character to like Jessica at all. I didn't know why she came into the book. Very little about her. And I just, if I'm honest, I probably would have liked to the book focus with Kate and Jessica and, and drop Nick completely by the, by the end of it. He's left a gibbering mess. Yeah. I can, do you want me to give you the big spoiler at the end of it? Okay, spoiler alert, everyone. Yeah. And this surprised me, this did. They had a big confrontation back in the cafe where the killer goes and kidnaps Nick's son. He's uh, son's yeah. five years old. And the son gets killed in the crossfire. Right. And I thought to myself, oh, wow. I thought, God, the cops can be cops with me, mess after this. He's had a son and a young daughter took out already in the same cafe. <laughs> I thought to myself, and then it, then it seems to skip forward to six months. And he's running around in another case. I thought to myself, no way. No. You can't it's buy almost that. like it's almost like the author doesn't understand how something like that would affect somebody. Yeah, like they just think, oh well, they'd be all right in six months. It's crazy. You love you've lost. It's bad enough you lose your wife and one child in a massacre. There's no way that cop would have been working after that. It'd been a gibbering mess. Oh. It'd probably take him six months to get to the point where he even starts to deal with it, let alone get over it. Exactly. And he's probably another, be in denial for six months. Probably, yeah. And then he loses another loses another child. He's had five kids, two of them are dead now, linked into the same case. It was really unrealistic, it was. And I felt 
this is I probably on this rather the second book of the series out as well. And people were writing on the reviews and some various things. Oh, it's really believable. I thought, no, it's not. Because no. his friend falls in the influence of the mob. Very, very wishy-washy character again. And the problem with it was, was he didn't buy it. His friend, it was his mate, it was his partner, should have been reporting him immediately. You've got to protect you. You're looking at his job like that. You're protecting not just yourself, protecting his is a service due job. And then the suspension was completely illogical when they suspended and it done later on. And I thought to myself, it was, yeah. this person's not checked their police procedures at all. I don't know what they're like in America, but I didn't buy a word of it. And do you know also, the thing that really pissed me off about this book, Amanda, was, well, I was hoping that children of you killing a two around Christmas, baby, it really was. It was not. Yeah. It started off in January and ran through to about May. And I think I think the, the massacre was in about November of November or something. So it wasn't, you know what I mean? I think you'd be like, we do it on Christmas time, wouldn't you? Yeah. But if you're calling a book 12 deaths till Christmas, what does that tell you straight? And the cover's all Christmassy as well. Well, like it's trying to cash in on like the Christmas market, but without actually having anything to do with Christmas. Yeah. And I can't give it any sort of good mark for that because it's a, it's a, it's a, whoever's done the design on that has told them out on out why. The, yeah. the book wasn't very good anyway. There's no truth, but it was quite a poor book, I felt. So undercooked. I don't the structure was very good. It wasn't really researched well at all, you can tell. But to do that, that's lost it marks immediately. And I thought, someone giving a man, do you even bought that book? Say, pay tenner for it. And you think, oh, it'll be a book about a nice. Glitchy Christmas murder mystery. One. No. That's why. So anyway, so do you want me to carry on? Bad bad mouthing it. Yeah, if you've got more bad mouthing to do. Yeah. Get, I... get all your bitch out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the pacing was off on it in places that I've said before, and there was when the captain came in. It was the captain above Dick and Duncan. There wasn't a massive amount of tension to him, the captain. Nick, when the captain suspected Duncan was dodgy, he just desk-bounded him and then eventually suspended it. I put him under house arrest. I thought to myself, he'd, he'd probably go to prison. He'd have, got, he'd have gone down for that. Straight away, and yeah. it was... And then Duncan went after the serial killer and got killed very quite pathetically. So he's really false and really inaccurate. And I'm not, I'm not going to go back to, again, what I thought about... The after effects of the death on his face, he ran around six months again after his, his son died. I thought, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I yeah. That's it. Anyway, that's all that's all my window. Yeah. Is that bad enough? So, yeah, is there anything else you want to say before you give it a really high mark? <laughs> Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. Okay. What do you reckon I'm gonna give it, Amanda? Oh, I think you love it. I think you're gonna give it eleven, even though the high score's ten. Ten. Yeah. Is it L? Four. Well, that's been nice. It lost it lost three marks straight away because of the Mr. D, the manipulative on the title and the cover. It probably right, would have so got it's not a recommendation then. Can't be because I would have given it probably a no. six borderline. I did I did there was good bits and bad bits, but the cover is an out and out lie. You can't do that. So four. Really, really poor book. A missed opportunity. Okay. Right, guys and girls, that's the end of part one. Right, Amanda, what were you going to say? Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> say bye, Amanda. Why do I feel like, so, every time you say ho, 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 I feel like going green giant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say. Right, guys and girls, seriously. Say bye, Amanda. Bye. Reading and reading in bed. Welcome back to and then this I spoke on label of reading in bed episode 36. <laughs> you can say perks are doing so many podcasts. I am Are you sure are you sure it's not your wrestling podcast? Do, do, do. No, definitely definitely reading in bed. I am Andy N. And I'm Amanda Steele. Now it's over to Amanda now because she's gonna do uh, notice in this a rarity. Just one book, aren't you, Amanda? 
Yeah, and then I'm going to briefly mention another one later, and we're going to talk about our best books as well, yeah, aren't we? indeed. Right, OK, Amanda, what is the title of your one OK, so it's called Afraid of the Christmas Lights, and it's by various authors, because it's an anthology. Right, OK, then. Have you got a blurb for the book? I looked for a blurb, and on Amazon, it was just full of reviews and quotes from people. So I went to Goodreads, and this is the only blurb I could find, so blink and you'll miss it. Festive shorts from the biggest stars in crime fiction. Blimey. <laughs> that's helpful, that's, that's you That's what you're left with when you cut out all the reviews and quotes. Blimey. How did you find this book, then, in the first place? <laughs> this was a book by on Pigeonhole. Where ah, you right. get the dif- um, different extracts each day. Oh, fair enough. So, right. So, okay. Over what period of time then did you have read this book? I think it was over eight days, and there were two stories each day. Sixteen. That's not too bad. Then. Was there any writers that were known, mind, made half known? I've made a list of some of them. They've all like had publishers and things like that, and some have won awards, but I'd never heard of them. So some of them are called Victoria Selman, Kate Simantis, Joe Furness, and Adam Southwood. Cool, cool. Okay then. So what are the, is I know it's obviously it's hard to judge you doing strengths of books really. You're doing this sort of anthologies in itself. So what's what did you like about the book? Well, so I, had some, I had some favourite stories. There was one called An Unexpected Present by Phoebe Morgan. And without giving any spoilers away, there were a lot of revenge and dark humour. So was that your... Was that, were the kind of things that I like. Yeah, anyone knows your sense of humour, man, that means it's dark and cynical and basically, isn't it? Yeah. It was one of those ones where I sit there and, and read it and you have to sort of scroll back and think, did I read this one? I, did I write this when I was drunk and I'd just forgotten? It's like, no, it's not me. <laughs> I can believe you knowing that one. You sometimes. I've seen you where you drink and do that sort of stuff. <laughs> cool. Okay. Was there any other stories you liked? There was another called Especially at Christmas by Adam Southward that takes someone on a reluctant dinner guest to a whole new level. Oh, so right. Like, if you've, ever been, if you've ever been a guest at somewhere where you've not wanted to be, this just takes it to the extreme, really. Yes, I can <laughs> I can guess what's going to happen there with that one. Oh, interesting. Okay, and um, was there any others you kept alive? One called Fresh Meat by L. Croft. And this was about a crazy cat lady and what she feeds her cat, but I'm not going to spoil the surprise. You'll have to buy the book and read it. Yeah, it's sounds, not cat food. It sounds like, it sounds <laughs> and, like and, it's <laughs> And if you're a man as well, it'll probably put you off um, online dating or at least going round to some woman's house if you've not met her before and she has a cat. <laughs> I'm not going to say no more then, then definitely with that. Then. So, yeah, it sounds eye-opening. That's probably the best way to put it in the mandarin, isn't it? So... Okay, so, okay, we've gone through a couple of stories that you liked. Was there any stories, you, uh, weaknesses, a better word for it in this case? There was one, bo- one story called Smithereens by an author called Dominic Nolan, and I felt like he was trying to be too clever in parts, and it got to the point where I'd had to search Google ten times to understand what he was talking about. Why well, Was that down to the words or the topics he was talking it's about? It's just... Like random words and stuff like, oh, look at me. I could actually say this simple word, but I'm going to use this really complicated word because I'm so clever. Oh, blimey, one of them, yeah. We know, we know, we know the score. We and know it got what... to the point, it got to the point because on Pigeonhole, as you're reading along, you can actually put comments on and some people didn't understand it. So he had to go through it all and start adding explanations and it kind of interrupts the reading then, which defeats the whole point of it. Yeah, sometimes there are some writers that can be too clever that are good there. So, yeah, I get you. Okay, generally with the book, then, is there any other stories you did, that you didn't really like in it? What we call to general talk about it? Nothing, that was it, really. Okay, did you, you can find... tell from the blurbs that the authors have had some kind of success. So, I did add a few to my list to sort of look up later and see what the books are and possibly buy them. So, it sounds like it was that sort of book, then, basically. That, was it more hits and misses than basically, was it? 
Yeah, Fern Anthology was quite good. There's normally a lot more stories that you're left thinking, oh, well, they were rubbish. But they were overall, apart from that one, it was it was quite a good selection. Well, that's good news, Erin, because I think you're right, because was it last Christmas we had, you read that other anthology, didn't you? That had, and I'm not going to badmouth Neil Gaiman because he's getting talked about in the next bit, but where you, you, had, a, you had a writer, didn't you? A, a, a book where it had a page and just over one of Neil, Neil Gaiman's story, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that would I have think that... it would have worked out as half a page, but they spread it over to make it last like one and a half pages because of the format. But even that was stretching it a little bit. It was probably like maybe two or three hundred words at the most. Yeah. So I thought so that that book I know you that used him a massive selling point, didn't they? And I think you were quite disappointed with a lot of the book after that, really. <laughs> this book sounds like to me that it was that sort of book that you didn't feel like you ripped off in it basically, did you so? Yeah, I don't know how the book was put together, but I get the feeling that the authors were approached rather than it was an open submission call. Yeah. I think sometimes when you do that, it means you keep you know what you want then basically, don't you? So you go for it. So well, that's good news. That's good to me then. So okay, is there anything else you need to say about this book? There is one thing actually. All the profits from this are going to abuse charities. So that's something good. So if you're looking to buy a book and you want to help charities at the same time, it's a really good book to buy just because of that. Oh, good. Is it available on Amazon, I'm presuming, is it? Yeah. Originally, I thought it was just going to be on ebook because the ebook was the only one that was showing as pre-order, but I've just looked today and the paperback is showing now and it's £4.99. Oh, so, so it sounds unlikely, what you're saying there, basically. Out of 16 stories, wasn't they, so? Yeah. So it looks like you've got good enjoyment out of what, what about 15 of them, haven't you? So. Yeah, and it's well worth it to get, if even if you're just buying a present for someone for 4.99 and you know the profits are going to go to charity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That sounds like you're in a winning situation there. Excellent. Okay, then, Amanda. Well, that's the end of it, of that book. What are you going to give it out of 10? I'm going to give it 9 out of 10, which is the best I can give it, really, just because of that dud story that I told you about. Yeah, that's good. That's good. What and what is nine out of ten? The reading of that? It's a recommendation. Everyone go and get it. Sounds good to me. Right, everybody. Uh, that's the end of part two. So, right, Amanda. Are we going to take a quick break? Yeah. Right, everybody. Stay safe and stay up. We'll see you. Say bye, Amanda. Bye. Reading and reading in bed. Welcome back to Reading in Bed with me, Amanda Steele, and... Andy Ann. Part three now, and this is my second book of the month. Now, this is very rare this month, Amanda, isn't it, really? Because normally you're reviewing more books than me. <laughs> but because it's the first time it's ever happened, this. Yeah, well, I've read a lot of books, but I haven't reviewed them for one reason or another. Yeah, we'll come on to that another day, that why. Now, yeah. would you like to know the name of my third book? Yeah. It's by a lady called Hope Mirrilees, and it's a book called Lud in the Mist. Do you want the blurb? Yeah. Okay. Lud in the Mist, a prosperous country town situated where two rivers meet, the Dole and the Dapple. The latter, which is a source in the land of fairy, is a great child of Lud, which had long rejected anything other preferring to believe only what is known as what is solid. Nathaniel Chantlier is a somewhat dreamy, slightly melancholic man, not one for making waves, who is deliberately ignoring a vital part of his own past, a secret he refused to even acknowledge. But with the disappearance of his own daughter and a long overdue desire to protect his young son, he realised something is changing in Lud and something must be done. Lud in the Mist is a true classic, an adult fairy tale, Exploring the need to embrace what we fear, come to terms with the shadows, those sweet and dark impulsive that our own public selves ignore or repress. Oh. Now, is that a better... Let me ask you a question, gentlemen. Is that a better blurb? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like the description of it being a dark fairy tale. It is. It most definitely is. It's, and I'm going to give you a quote first of all, I mentioned before the last part. Neil Gaiman has been quoted as saying, this is the most single, most beautiful, unjustifiable forgotten novel of the 20th century. Yeah, and it is really, because it's, it's wrote in 1926, this book, so it's 
90 odd years old now. And do you want me to give you a bit of the backstory of this book, Amanda? I've got a paragraph wrote here, actually. Yeah. It's worth, worth knowing about this because she's an interesting lady, this one. Because she was a Hope Mirrorless has been called the forgotten female fem modernist. Her and her partner, Jane Harrison, had close links to writers such as T.S. Eliot. Do you know any of you heard of T.S. Eliot? Yeah. And Virginia Woolf? Yeah. Who, fa who famously referred to them as living in a sapphire fat flat somewhere and commented on the size of Miralee's ankles in the diaries, bizarrely enough. Um, Hope Miralee's was a, quite, quite a famous poem published called Paris, which was originally published by the Hoggard Press and it was widely praised. And it apparently had been influenced Virginia Woolf's own The Jacob's Room piece I've heard of. And she wrote two of two other novels, but this is the one that people seem to like the most. And unlike Wolf and Elliot, her work was out of print for many, many years until in the 70s. And then it came out again about 10 years later, again as a commercial payback with a big instruction by Neil Gaiman. Okay. Okay. So, do you want some strengths? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I like about this is it's, I like the fact the main character is a master, Nefanzo Chandler. What I like about him is he's a middle-aged man. He's not classically what you get in fantasy books, you know, a classic hero and stuff like that. So he's not just a normal, normal, overweight middle-aged man, basically. So it was like, and he seems to like it was quite interesting because he seems to take pride in the lack of imagination and the ability to feel serious emotion. We have secret fear. And then it all seemed to link into like, like I said, it was the construction of his other world and other worlds beyond it. It's it's a funny book because it's it is beautifully written, man. No two ways about it. Very lucid and vivid, and packed with lush imagery, particularly the nature as well. And I think what you liked about it would have been was it came before obviously fancy books started really getting more popular. So like it let her she she was breaking and breaking the rules. You see later on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it was like. It was, you get some like, because interesting, did you know when Lord of the Rings first started coming out? No. 1937. That went on for what, how many years that those three books took to write? This predates The Hobbit. So it's like, oh, Hobbit. Really? Yeah, so it's like, that's Hobbit and stuff. Eh? Tolkien was really the first fat major fantasy book. The yeah. other ones wrote before it, and this one's like, Neil Gaiman regards it as an adult fairy book, because Lord of the Rings is possibly made at teenage boys, possibly more. This is aimed at almost like adults and it's quite a different experience that's what and it's it's really really interesting but I mean, it's a bit slow it's a bit slow do you like do you like books that are really quite do you like fast moving books or slow books or? it depends really i mean sometimes you can have books where not much happens but it's well written and there's a lot of imagery and stuff like that and you don't mind it so much this is that sort of book really straight away it's not for everybody straight away and I'll come on to that in the weaknesses in a minute. But and I could have you ever read Stardust by Neil Gaiman or seen the film even? I think I've seen the film. I can't remember now. The book's better. The book's better. The book's really the book's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. It's probably my favourite book of his, actually. And you can see from this, because the film's much more fast to pace, the book's quite slow. And you can see where Neil Gaiman got a lot of ideas for Stardust from this from, although that is very different. And I can see where Tolkien as well got my Tolkien clearly had read this book before he started Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. You can see it a mile off. It's got that sort of Englishness about it, the fantasy tales. So. Yeah. yeah. Very, very good book. Enjoyable. Do you want to know the weaknesses? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's it's a book, I don't know, it's always slightly, slightly offbeat for some reason. And it probably for that reason, it wasn't a massive success at the time. Because, you know, you see, you, you read some books, you can think to yourself, well, I enjoyed it, but you can see why it didn't become a massive seller. Do you know what you mean by that at the time? Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like they've killed her because it's almost like I've said it, it's despite having an overall deliberate pace where, but the plot seems randomly, man, the way they're not to speed up and slow down as if time's passing at different rates. But it's in a couple of worlds, so it's possible. Where... But it's interesting that because um, but it is a beautiful book, but it's as of its time, and I can see a lot of the 1920s in this book, and 
because it's so wordy in places, I did find it quite hard to read, actually. But I enjoyed it. It's worth sticking with, but... Yeah. But the ending is very disappointing. Very, very disappointing ending. Which I, don't, I, don't, I won't go into, but it seemed to cut off before concluding what major for me, so... Okay, so do you want to give it a score? What do you reckon I'm going to give it? I think it's going to be a recommendation. Yeah, it's dated, and when you're looking at data, the books, it, it loses marks by a modern audience really, to a degree. And the ending was a bit disappointing, so it's lost marks to both of them, really. But it's got 7.5. Okay. Well, my philosophy is, if, if we get to that 80-odd years time after we've both moved on to the next next lives, if one of our books gets out of North Mark out of 10, I'll be delighted, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's a strange idea, actually, isn't it? If there's such a thing as reincarnation, we could be reading old books thinking this is really good and we might have helped them. You, <laughs> you just don't know what life sometimes. It's a funny thing at the best of times, really, so... You never, never know really at all. But no, it's interesting, certainly. So it's an interesting thought to think about. So I believe in that, actually, truth be told. I think it's very possible. Like, it's what you've done in... We're wondering off topic it, but I want to know Mam's opinion on this. Could you believe, Mam, it's possible, as a writer, you could be a writer in another life? Possibly, yeah, but I don't think I'd ever sort of read the books because I don't think they'd be good enough. But if I've written books in a past life, they're probably buried or dusty in a library somewhere. Yeah. Fading away. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Deserted libraries. I know, right. Right, guys and girls, we get here all night and that. It's an interesting topic to talk about. So, right, Amanda. We're on to part four, aren't we? Yeah. Say bye, Amanda. Bye. Reading and reading in bed. Welcome back to part four of Reading and Bed, episode 36. I am Andia. And I am Amanda Steele. Yeah. Okay, guys. Right. We're not actually going to be doing any more book reviews this month now, this year. But to part four, there's a couple of things we want to cover today. And Amanda's going to do... What do you got, Amanda? Amanda, a quick recommendation or in passing to hold? Yeah, yeah. So it's called Santa in a Snow Globe, and I've been unprepared and haven't even written down the author, but it should be easy to find. And it's an 18-page picture book, and basically it just explains to parents and caregivers how to explain to children that Christmas might be a bit different this year. Like, if you go visit Santa, you might not be able to sit on his knee or he might be behind a plastic screen. So I thought that was a really useful thing because, obviously, it's difficult to explain this kind of thing to children. Yeah, I thought... Was, you remember me talking about this on the month when you got this to review, didn't you? Honestly, like I said, it was, yeah. it's very hard for us to really do an audio review on an 18-page children's book. But how did it approach you actually writing a review for it on the Amazon? I just did a little review and just said about how it, because there's some illustrations and they're really good illustrations and it's written in the form of a poem. It, do you know oh, yeah. the night before Christmas poem? It's yes, a bit in a bit like that, like it's rewritten and it basically just explains to young children, you know, like why Christmas might not be the same this year and presents are the most important thing and family's important at this time of year. Yeah, I think that's an excellent, that's what they say. It's, it sounds like, I think sometimes the, the myth is when you do children's books, and this is not a case of that, quite clearly, I'm going to say it straight away, where some books based on children's books, it can be aimed at, like, they can be too childish for their own good sometimes, can't they? Yeah. And it was like, yeah, this one sounds like it's done it, it's done it as a really informative adult way, and I, I, like, I like that. I think that's a really, really nice thought. Could you give this a mark out of 10, Amanda, for us today, or did you get as far as that? So I'd give it a 10, yeah. I can't see anything wrong with it. I mean, no. parents will know if it's the kind of thing that's going to help the child or not, and whether they want to buy it and read it to them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. No, sounds good to me. Definitely that one, so cool. Okay, then. Right, we're on to books of the year now, Amanda, aren't we? Yeah. All right, tell you what we'll do then, for everybody, if people are wondering. We'll take it in turns. I've got, we've got two each. So I'm going to let 
Amanda go first this time. And what's your first book of the year? It's The Resident by David Jackson. Oh, I remember you, you, remember you, I remember you doing this on reading about extracts as well, didn't you? Yeah, this, this was about a serial killer called Thomas Brogan. And he's killed a couple and he gets caught by the police and manages to evade them and finds his way into a deserted house, which he discovers when he goes up to the attic, that it leads to all the houses on that street so he can spy on people and start making plans to kill them all one by one. So it's, it's a nice Christmassy theme, really. Very cheerful, <laughs> very, very cheerful. Indeed. So definitely that one So cool. Okay, do you want to know my first book of the year, Amanda's? Yeah. I had to double check when we did this one. I did this one. I did this one back in March, actually, episode 27. And this was, I've just got to bought another book, this guy as well, by Michael Morperdo, he's called him. So this is, the book I've got is Why the Whales Came. And do you remember writing, re re reviewing this one? I can't remember now. It was a children's book, this one, but it was, it was a beautiful book. I'll read it out to you, okay? It's an exciting, okay. it's on Amazon, an exciting historical adventure of War Horse author, Michael Morpeth Dingo. Gracie and her friend Daniel are ordered war to stay away from the Birdman and his side of the island. But when they find a message in the sand to the Birdman, it's not too informed. They build up a lovely friendship with them, but when the children get stranded on Samson Island, they don't know what to believe the Birdman's story, that the island is cursed. Set against the backdrop of the First World War, in the tradition of friend or foe or peaceful, private peaceful. Michael Morperno brings an emotional reality of conflict to life in a way that is accessible to human readers. I, I love this book because I was reading it and it was one where it was aimed at children, but it was like you did the only book you reviewed for four for something like that. I think it yeah. crossed over really, really well as to adults as well. And it was, the ending was a bit predictable in places, but there was the atmosphere in it. It was quite gothic, and it really was a beautifully told little book. So maybe in January, I may have his next book to read and go back to the book yesterday, like I said. So watch your space. Okay, Amanda, your second book of the year. Okay, so it's The Book of Dust, A Secret Commonwealth by Philip Coleman. Oh. And I, if you remember, I didn't read the book. I had the audio, which is narrated by Michael Sheen. Oh, and we know you love Michael Sheen. Well, the question is, was it Michael yeah. Sheen that sold the book to you, or was it the book? I got the first one, and I'd never heard him narrate anything before, so I wasn't sure about the book, but he just brought it to life, and it made me want to read the second one, or get the second one in audio, anyway. And he did the second one as well, then, didn't he, as well? So Yeah. Uh, I was like waiting for it to come out and to find out who was narrating it. And as soon as I found that he was narrating it again, it's like, yeah, I signed up for Audible for another month. Just for <laughs> that, just for that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that played to you, definitely that stuff. But that's an, as people, I don't know if people know his man, you do listen to a lot of audio books, don't you? Is this, has he been your favourite narrator so far you've come across? Yeah, because he's the fan of the books and you can tell as well that he's just, it, it brings all the characters to life. And it's like sometimes you'll listen to an audio book and they won't quite get the characters right. And that's not a criticism because it's hard to do all the voices and make everyone sound different. But when you get someone like Michael Sheen that actually makes each character sound different and he's putting on the girl's voice, obviously, without sound stupid. No, he manages to do it without making it sound like that. So it, it does, you can tell it's still him, but it, it's sort of, the voice, the tone changes a little bit. No, cool, cool. Sounds good to me. Okay, then. Do you want to know my second book of the year? Or year, I should say, is. Yeah. You ready? Okay. This was last month, actually. And you might you might be expecting this one, Amanda, actually. Karina Longworth, Seduction, Sex, Lies and Stardom and Holly Howard Hughes' Hollywood. I remember you reviewing this. This was quite recently, wasn't last it? Month. Last month. Last month. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, recently. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, but it's um, in this case, was, I'll read the blurb out again, in case you didn't catch last month's episode. Uh, yeah, it does go for a bit of blurb, so I do apologise. In this riveting popular history, the creator of You Must Remember This probes the inner workings of Hollywood's glamorous golden age through the stories of some of the dozens of actresses 
pursued by Howard Hughes, to reveal how the millionaire's mogul's obsession with sex, power, and publicity trapped, abused, and benefited women who dreamt to start stream stardom. It's I'm not gonna go. I won't read the rest of the book. It does go on for a while, but it's. Yeah. I, anyone knows me, they know I love podcasts. Called you must remember this. And I got into that series not long after it started because Korean Longwood covers the first century of Hollywood. A lot of the scandals are going behind stories and stories behind stories. And it's a riveting podcast. And this was, she's done other little bits of novels before, but it's her first major novel. And it was nearly 600 pages. And I, it felt like it was perfectly posed me. It really was a fascinating and gripping, gripping book. Which is ironic, like a book I read that a little book, 192 pages, a big 600 page. It shows you, doesn't mm. it, what different, different approach we've got books sometimes, Amanda. So it's recommended after it's a powerful, powerful book. So. Okay, Amanda. What are we doing now, Sam? We're going to do a little bit of our own work, aren't we? Reading yeah. something out. I'll go. Do you want me to go first, Sam? You go second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, this one I wrote recently and. This I did for our writing group, Amanda, didn't I? Only a couple of days ago. And it's gone down pretty well, this piece. So. And there is a, there is an unedited version. It's with lots of swearing in but I'm going to be professional today and keep it nice. So this is Unexpected Christmas Present. Who sent to me? It wasn't clear. I was at this tied up next to the Christmas tree with shoes wrapped in paint and a blank label. When I tried opening it, it moved away from them towards the fire, growling. What? He said to his wife, Molly. Did you get this? I thought it was you, she answered. It wasn't there when I went to bed last night. And I went to bed an hour before you. It wasn't me either. He looked at Stiller's wrapping bed, shivering next to the fire. One of the boys hasn't gone and kidnapped Mrs. Johnson's cat for a joke, have No, they haven't, they answered. It was my ex-employer. He left me here. Tommy looked at Molly in shock as he saw a reindeer with a huge red nose start to wrap itself in wrapping paper. Rudolph? Molly said, shocked. Who else do you think it'll be? Rudolph pulled himself out of his wrapping paper. I've been trying to get out this paper all night. Who did this to you? Tommy said eventually. After sweeping the wrapping paper away. Who do you think? Father Christmas! The two sons said, running into the room only to stop when they saw Rudolph sat in their armchair a glass of mulled wine in his hand. Dad? One of them said, looking at him, is that? Yeah. Rudolph then began and stopped. It's me. Father Christmas sacked me. Sacked you, Molly said, coming back from the kitchen after leaving the two boys as porridge. He's such a bore, Rudolph carried on. I was only joking when I suggested the wife spot. I didn't expect him to kick me out after across the sky and dump me here. That's terrible. Do you want me to ring him? Surely you can sort this out, Tommy asked. A little difficult, Rudolph blushed. Why? The other reindeers have gone on strike after they heard what happened to me. Strike? They never liked me anyway. I'm not bothered. And your wife? Don't ask. It was going to be a long day. <laughs> Amanda, what was the unedited version of this like then? When I wrote down the workshop, do you remember? It had about 10 swear words in it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of F-bombs. Rudolph was dropping a lot of F-bombs in it, but it worked, but not for this case. I think it's nice. It's nice sometimes being restrained. Right, Amanda, what are you reading for us today? So I'm going to read a piece of flash fiction from my 12th Safari Christmas book, which is available on Amazon. Um, this one's called Santa Claus and the Climate Change. Some people say Santa doesn't exist, and some people say the same about global warming. Santa never gave much credit to the news reports either. He was as shocked as anyone when the ice melted in Lapland and all of India's drowned. Their screams were enough to give him nightmares, and the way Rudolph Ice silently pleaded with him to help was enough to drive him to drinking extra eggnog. That look, that look stayed embedded in his mind, on the fading when he was intoxicated, Mr. Claus woke up from another nightmare, reliving those last moments when Rudolph sank to his watery death. The alarm was set to alert him and the elves that it was time to go. Regardless of the loss, the children would be waiting for their presents. 
Telling them all global warming was to blame would only traumatise them too. He couldn't bring himself to tell them about the reindeer either. So he hired a team of llamas to drive his sleigh and to ensure Christmas would go ahead. When they were flying, the llamas, all juiced up on pixie dust, began to get hungry. Not content with carrots or mince pies left out by hopeful children, they chewed at the ropes instead. That's when Santa fell, landing in a thawed out lake and meeting his untimely end. The end. Happy Christmas. <laughs> ho, ho. We do like, like projecting positivity here on reading and that. Well, sometimes anyway. So. Oh, it's not the real Santa. No Santas were harmed in the making of this book. No, all apart from Amanda's deep, disturbed imagination, Amanda. It wasn't it really, so. Yeah. <laughs> right, Amanda, where can people get your book from, of course, just to clarify again? It's it's available on Amazon as an e-book and a paperback. And if you've got Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free as part of your subscription. That's good to me then. Right, guys and girls, well, that's it for reading a bed and Christmas special. What are we doing next month, Amanda? Books. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to drop any hints to people what you're going to do? Have you got any ideas yet? Zombies. I've got a fantasy book. I'm about a third of the way through at the moment. And I'm going to look at this, this other book by the guy, by the white, white, yeah, Michael Moore, Moore, or whatever his name is again. So, by last, but we're going to be on then. We'll be back. In the beginning of January, Monday, won't we? So, and if people want to know what we're doing and what we're doing on Christmas, reading and drinking, in, yeah, reading and drinking in in the study in bed, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, right, service to guys, and girls. This is Andy N signing out. Uh, this is Amanda Steele drinking, yeah, dr- <laughs> drinking off. <laughs> right, we're gonna go, go and relax after the guys because so stay safe. We go speak to you soon. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Bye everyone. Oh, oh, oh. Bye. Reading and reading and bed. Reading and reading and bed 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 and